0: Welcome to the Kanoi Church Podcast. We're glad that you're interested in connecting through this teaching time. If you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out to us through our website, canoychurch.org. For now, enjoy this teaching from Kanoi Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Good morning. It's, uh, it's never too late to get to know ourselves. It's never too late to say, you know, hey, I need to do something a little bit different, even if it's just for a little while because it's gonna be just a little bit healthier or better for me. And something that I realized over the last week is that I need to take a break from our summer series. All right, so we're gonna take a break from our summer series. And I know we didn't exactly wrap up where we were. We were in the middle of our, uh, talking about the difference between Calvinism or Arminianism, and uh, at some point, uh, I think we 'll come back to that because I think that 's still worth talking about. I think it 's still worth uh, finishing up, but as I was thinking through um, as I was thinking through this Sunday, I kept feeling a strong pull not to talk about the next thing on my list so um, and as I kept thinking through me and where i 'm at, I kept thinking. I don't want to talk about the next thing on my list. So um, I feel done with that. All right? So moving on. Uh, But the thing was, I kind of struggled with where to move on to. So, uh, and that's, again, I've told you before, not for lack of ideas. It was just, it was more of like praying through, like, I feel like that closed, but I'm not sure what the next open piece is. And I thought, okay, it's August summer's wrapping up, school is going to start. Maybe it's like a back to the basics sort of thing. Like, how do you get back to the basics? What does that even mean? Uh, Nick, what's back to the basics mean to me? And that's when it sort of hit me. Um, In the last week, I just spent the week away with my wife. And um, we had uh, no kids for the first time in five years for a week. And um, date nights feel like a rarity with four kids. That's the honest truth. Uh, Even when we do get date nights, uh, sometimes you get called back from them. You know, Um, even to you know, like sometimes Krista works in the evenings. uh, I. Try to volunteer at like the firehouse, and even to make that happen, we have to hire a babysitter sometimes. And uh, in the middle of that, sometimes we'll get phone calls, and you know, the babysitter's like, "I can't do this," and we're like, "Yeah, welcome to our life." And so we're both like <laughs> leaving work or leaving the firehouse, and we're like converging on the house at the same time. We're like, "All right, let's figure out what's going on inside the house right now." And and so to get away for a week, you know, with The kids being with people that we trust and know that they're okay with um, gives us the opportunity to get back to the basics with each other. And um, it gives us the opportunity not to be focused on packing lunches and taking temperatures and playing referee and reading stories and wrestling with kids and growing more white hair and kissing boo-boos and making fish sticks and broccoli for the third time that week. And you know, instead, we just get to lock in on one another for a few days and get back to the basics, right? So I just did that, and that's when I was like, okay, that's actually what I want to do with Jesus, okay? And, and I don't know if you ever feel like that. You know, like sometimes um, with the best of intentions, even, even here, like <laughs> with, with my whiteboard and everything, I just, I'm i like, I'm just, maybe we could just get kind of simple. You know, get back to the basics. And um, take a deep breath and open up our Bibles and just have some fun. Open up our Bibles and enjoy. Um, one of my favorite uh, series growing up was, movie series was Indiana Jones. Um, and that's not because they were the greatest movies. <laughs> I mean, come on right? But they were fun, okay? You kind of knew what you were getting when you watched an Indiana Jones movie. They were just, they were just fun. Uh, and there were moments that were serious, and there were moments that were a little scary, uh, but there were moments that were like full of adventure and excitement and fun, right? And at the end of them, who didn't want to buy a whip and get a hat and go dig up their parents yard and try and find some artifact somewhere and then swing from a tree. Like, who didn't want to do that? I mean, or maybe it wasn't Indiana Jones, maybe it was James Bond or something else for you and you thought after watching it, you could be the next spy or whatever it is, you know? You watch some of those those movies and it's just fun and you're like, I could do that, I'm the next one. And then you hit yourself in the face with the whip and you're like, okay, it's not for me. But for a moment, you put the hat on and you are indie, you know? And so I thought, what if we just dun dun dun, dun have some fun, right? If I just leave the whiteboard over there and you guys grab the Bibles from the chairs and we open them up and we just read together. And um, we see what adventure Jesus gets into this week as a way to kind of just dig in, get back to the basics, and see what the life of Jesus looks like. I thought that could be kind of fun. And as a way to sort of like just be simple and fall in love with Jesus again. Um, Because sometimes we just need that. And as I think about getting into the school year, that is something that, that I need. Kind of a reset, you know? Um, so that's what I want to do. I want to go to Mark chapter one with you. And so if you have a Bible, great. If you want to use your phone, great. If you want to just listen, that's fine too. But if you want to open it up and follow along, then grab a Bible out of the chair in front of you, um, and, uh, open up to Mark chapter one. It's, it's one of the gospels. And, um, gives an account of the life of Jesus. It's not one of the longer Gospels, but we're just gonna, we're gonna read it this morning and kind of talk about it as we read. And I thought that would be a lot of fun. And uh, that's all my notes. All right, so those are done. We're just gonna read. So starting at Mark chapter one, verse one. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the paths for him. One of the things I think is important to note is that at the outset of this gospel, Mark identifies who Jesus is. And that's something that you should be aware of as you read this gospel. From the beginning, Jesus, Mark says Jesus is the Messiah. Not only the Messiah, he says Jesus is the Son of God. That's both important titles here, okay? And so while some of the other gospels have an account of the birth of Jesus, Mark skips right over that. We don't have Jesus being born to a virgin. We don't have angels coming down and declaring this. Uh, Mark just doesn't seem to think that that's an important part of the story for whoever he's writing this gospel for. Mark just wants you to know, hey, he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Let's jump into his life. And so part of what he expects that you're going to believe as he gives you this story and as we go on these adventures is that he's the Messiah and he's the Son of God. And so the way that he wants you to make sure you know that is to ground you in the Old Testament. The story he's about to tell you is not going to make any sense if you're not grounded in the Old Testament. So this is why he quotes... What he quotes right here I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the paths for him. All right, so Jesus being Messiah and Jesus being Son of God, grounded in the Old Testament, this is how we're going to make sense of who he is and what he is going to do. Pick it up in verse four here. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, just know that is not going to be a popular thing among the people who are in power, okay? Because where do you go to get your sins forgiven? Anybody? The temple, right? You go to the temple to get your sins forgiven, So you have this guy named John the Baptist who is offering baptism, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is not going to go over well with the established religion. Now if this stays quiet, okay, then maybe it'll be fine, maybe no big deal. But just read on here for a second. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. All right, so it's not staying quiet. This is gonna be a problem for John the Baptist down the road, I'm pretty sure, okay? Now, the Judean countryside is 20 miles away from Jerusalem. That's like walking from Elizabethtown to Lebanon. That's not a short walk, okay? So, big deal. It's also a 4,000-foot drop. So it's not just 20 miles away. You're descending 4,000 feet as you do, which, not a big deal to walk there, but now walk back uphill 4,000 feet. This is a big journey, okay? So the whole, whole, uh, all these people are going to see him. It's a big journey. It's a big deal. It's not staying quiet. So the whole, uh, all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, Let's find out about John. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with Holy Spirit. John's not even somebody that's gonna fit in. So not only is his message one that's not gonna be popular with the establishment of religion, it's not staying quiet, everybody's going to see him, and he's not somebody that blends into a crowd, okay? He sticks out like a sore thumb. So if the day comes that enough people find him about this message that is not gonna be popular with the established religion, there's no way for John to hide who he is, okay? John's gonna get in trouble at some point over this. The question only becomes, how long is John going to be able to preach this message before it catches up with him? Now, as he's preaching this message, he's also giving a second message. The first message is, come, repent, and we know what repent means, right? Repent means turn and go the opposite direction of what you've been going, okay? You've been going one direction, now go in a new direction and receive forgiveness for your sins. That's the first message, okay? The baptism then is symbolic of the repentance. Now the second message is John is predicting that someone else is coming. John baptizes with water, there's this other person who's coming that John's not even worthy to untie his sandals. And that person who's coming is gonna baptize in a whole different way than John is going to baptize. So he has two messages. Now go to verse nine. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now before we get into the next verse here, why is Jesus baptized? Now that is a good question it's one that I hear fairly often. Why does Jesus get baptized? Jesus is the Son of God. Right? We found that out in like verse 1 here. He's the Messiah, the Son of God. Why in the world does Jesus need to be baptized by John? Now if you take, in your Bible, if you can, flip to Philippians, okay? Chapter 2. And if you have a way to fold a corner down, or put a bookmark in, do that, okay? Totally worthwhile on this. This is a passage that everybody should have bookmarked in their Bible. If you can go to Philippians chapter 2 and down to verse 6, this is a good passage to refer to because it helps explain a number of things that Jesus does in his life. Like this. Why in the world would the Son of God, the Messiah, choose to be baptized? Here you go. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing... By taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Part of what Jesus does is he is the incarnation. So God coming in the form of man. God leaves heaven, the throne room of heaven, and descends in the form of man, but not just as man, he descends as a servant. He humbles himself to obedience, he then humbles himself to such obedience that he goes to the cross, to death. Not just any death, but death on a cross, which is the death of a criminal, and if you die a death on a cross, it is thought that your soul is forfeit. So there's this great humility track that he's on, to be baptized by John continues this humility. Christ is not above anyone else. He's on this track of humility. So at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee. He was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Well, this is also... A really cool picture. And sometimes we make these connections and sometimes we don't, okay? Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Heaven's being torn open. Wow, that's crazy. Now, Again, let's flip somewhere else in our Bible. This is an easy one, though, to find. Go to Genesis chapter 1, very first page of this entire story that we're in. Genesis chapter 1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So, in the very, very beginning, we have water and the Spirit of God hovering over it. Here at Jesus' baptism, we have water and the Spirit of God hovering over it. The creation of the world is a cosmic event, it's the creation of the world. It's a cosmic event. Here, the baptism of Jesus is a cosmic event. We have the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. Mark writes this in a way that anybody reading this or hearing this is supposed to go, my goodness, this sounds just like when God creates the world. When God created the world, the Spirit hung over the water. And when Jesus is being baptized, the Spirit descends over Jesus in the water. These are cosmic events. This is a big, huge, massive deal. Then a voice, verse 11, came from heaven You are my son. Whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted or tested by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Mark It's interesting the way he writes his gospel because the way he writes his gospel moves us through the story. The other gospels look at the temptation of Jesus as sort of a way to tell you a much more detailed account of this. But Mark moves you right from the baptism, the Spirit descends upon Jesus, and then that same Spirit moves him right into the wilderness. But we don't get a detailed account of Jesus's testing with Satan. We just learn that he is tested by Satan. One of the things that some, some scholars think that what Mark's trying to do is show you that this is the beginning of him being tested because Mark looks at Jesus' ministry as a cosmic battle against Satan the whole way through. And this is just the very first time that Jesus begins that battle. And so as Jesus encounters all of these different, whether it's an impure spirit or it's a demon possession or whatever it might be, this is just him battling against Satan again and again and again and again. Regardless, we don't get those sort of details. Forty days, he's in the desert. Angels attend him. And we go down to verse 14 and what we find out is all of John's ministry finally catches up with him. John is put into prison. And after he's put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee, (coughs) excuse me, proclaiming the good news of God. And Jesus says these words. He says, the time has come. I'm gonna pause right there, though, because here's an interesting thing. The word time, as a special meaning to our family. But there's two Greek words for time. The first word is chronos. And chronos sort of means like chronological time. If we're talking about time and we're like, hey, beyond time, we would use that word. Um, If we're talking about a specific time, time of the day, we'd use that word. Uh, But that's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is the word kairos or kairos. And that word means the opportune time, the right time, the right moment. Um, and so what Jesus is saying is not that uh, it is 1117 on uh, August 6th and it is the right time to start my ministry. He's saying, okay, this is the opportune moment to begin. Right? The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So it seems like also part of what Mark wants to show us is that as John's ministry is wrapping up, Jesus' ministry begins. The opportune time is now here for Jesus' ministry to begin. Now we're gonna get into Jesus calling his very first disciples as well. Uh, Verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew. Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed. Some of our Gospels show us a little bit of a different account, right? Where there might be some back and forth, um, maybe some playful banter. In this particular account, What Mark is showing us is that as Jesus approaches them and says, come and follow me, they just, they drop their stuff and they go. No questions asked. And once again, one of the things that Mark seems to have in his head is this cosmic scale. He's he's thinking about this cosmic battle between good and evil, between Satan and between God, between Jesus and the powers of evil that are out there. Who being aware of this cosmic battle is going to banter with the Messiah when the Messiah says, come and follow me. No one. They drop their nets and they follow right away. And Mark wants us to get that sort of urgency, this cosmic urgency that exists. And so, of course, they go right away. Now, Jesus goes a little further along and he, uh, he says... Uh, When he goes a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Something to remember about being called as a disciple is what an honor it would be to be called as a disciple. Every young man would have studied to be a disciple, Everyone would have gone to school. And at some point, if you were smart enough and did all the things you needed to do, you would have been asked by a rabbi to be a disciple. And if you weren't, then you would have been told, go work with your family. Go do whatever your family's trade is. And so the fact that these are fishermen, we know they flunked out somewhere. All right? At some point, they didn't make the cut. And so they were told, you know, go work with your family. Go find a different job. You're not going to cut it as a disciple. And so when Peter and his brother, or Simon and his brother, are approached by Jesus, man, what an honor for a rabbi to come walk by and say, come and follow me, which is the standard question, by the way. It's not just a random thing, Jesus says. That was the question a rabbi would have asked. That was the question they would have been waiting to hear as younger men that they never would have heard. Come and follow me so what an honor and what of what sort of healing moment for them too because there might be a bit of shame associated with never having heard that question okay but also then consider the next two James and John sons of Zebedee who are with their father who've gone through the same thing right they're not disciples they're with their family but they're with their father and Jesus approaches them and says the same thing, come and follow me. The cost of discipleship is a bit different because while the first two have no one to leave behind, it seems, the second two have someone to leave behind. Now, we see this in other places in Scripture where Jesus has told us, you must leave behind. Let the dead bury the dead, right? He, he says these harsh things about what it means to be a disciple. But we don't often see that played out in the stories of the men and women who are the disciples of Jesus that we grow to revere. But in this moment we actually do see the sons of Zebedee with their father walk away from their father. That has to be a hard moment. Hopefully their father says go, what an honor. You've been asked, go. But what if he didn't? And they went anyway. How willing are we when God calls us and when we see the cost of discipleship in our own lives? How willing are we to pay that cost? How willing are you? Is that cost monetary in your life? Is that cost relational in your life? What is the cost of discipleship in your life? When Jesus calls upon you, what are you willing to pay and what are you not willing to pay? So Jesus has his disciples, or at least some of them. And our next adventure, Jesus goes to a synagogue. Verse 21, they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue to begin to teach. Which might sound a bit strange to you because you think, well, Jesus is like a traveling teacher, right? He's like a traveling rabbi. Uh, why does he get to just go and teach in synagogues? Because there's a rule that says that a a traveling rabbi of good repute, as long as they're asked by the leadership of a local synagogue, they can teach in a local synagogue. And so we're left to assume that the leadership of the local synagogue has asked him, given their approval, to teach. Jesus is fairly unknown at this point. He doesn't have a bad reputation yet, okay? So he goes to this local synagogue and he begins to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught with one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law, which is interesting when you think about it, right? The thing that sets Jesus apart is the way he teaches versus the teachers of the law, the the regular teachers in the synagogue, okay? The, the, uh, The regular rabbis that are there. The thing that sets Jesus apart is that he teaches with authority versus the way that they normally teach. The word there means power, authority, uh, mastery. Uh, It's translated as power more often than it's translated as authority. And so if you want to think about it that way, you can think about it as he he was powerful in his teaching. Some scholars think that it was because most of the rabbis at the teaching at that time, they would quote other teachers, and so rather than saying the the scriptures mean x, y, and z, they would say, "Ah, Rabbi Hillel says that it means this." And so when Jesus walks in, he just opens the scriptures to them and says well, my father in heaven says this, 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 and this, and he teaches with such power and such authority about what the scriptures mean. The people are so amazed because rather than tapping into these past rabbis and their quotes, he just explains what the father means by these these scriptures. But in the middle of his teaching, verse 23 Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, come on. We're talking about a cosmic battle, right? So again, in the middle of Jesus' teaching with power and authority and mastery, suddenly this demon-possessed individual breaks in in the middle of the teaching where people are amazed, and he interrupts Jesus. What do you want with us? And I don't know if you want to imagine The Exorcist or whatever scary horror movie you've ever seen with weird voices, but this spirit is speaking with a plural. What do you want with us? I know who you are. So switching back and forth between plural and singular. Have you come to destroy us? Speaking on behalf of all the demons and all the evil. I know who you are, Jesus. Now, how does Jesus respond? Be quiet. Come out of him. Now, The people had already been amazed by Jesus' teaching because he taught with such power and authority. But now there's a whole other kind of power and authority that's about to be on display because this impure spirit has shown itself. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Be quiet. Come out of him. And he comes out. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? What is this? A new teaching? And with authority, he, he then gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now, one of the things that we see time and time again in the Gospels, and not just the Gospel of Mark, but many other Gospels, is Jesus telling people to be quiet, telling the spirits to be quiet. Why does Jesus often do that? Why does he keep people quiet? Because Jesus is intent on God's timing and not Jesus's timing. There's a plan here. And Jesus has a lot of work to do on behalf of humanity, on behalf of the world. And if certain things happen too fast, then those things aren't gonna get done. And so what does this impure spirit say? I know who you are. Well, that can't come out yet. It can't. Mark knows who he is, but Mark's writing what we're reading. Jesus isn't telling everybody else yet. Jesus seems like a rabbi who teaches with power and authority, and that's pretty amazing. But he's not proclaiming anything yet. He can't let the demon either yet. This is about God's timing. And so Jesus says, be quiet, pulls the spirit out, But now, everybody is talking. Not just about the way he teaches, but the way he can cast demons out. So then we can go on. As soon as they left the synagogue, what does he do next? Does he keep it quiet? Not exactly, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew, and Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her. This is the funniest miracle in the world, by the way, okay? Uh, So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and what did she do? Took three days in bed to just get get better? Uh, No, she immediately got up and began to wait on them. What the world, right? Is that what you would do? She has a fever, she's almost dead. He heals her, she gets up, and begins to wait on them. What a mother-in-law. I gotta go talk to mine, I guess. Um, No, I'm kidding. I don't know if she's ever gonna watch this. I am so joking if she ever watches or hears this, okay? One of the things that's really important to notice about this though is that there are specific and unspecific healings here, okay? We're about to see that Jesus heals a whole lot of people, okay, we're gonna see many, but we also see specific people. Peter, Peter's mother-in-law, Simon's mother-in-law, okay? So there's a lot of healings that are about to happen, okay? That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because he knew who they were. Again, about God's timing. And Jesus needs the time to show the world the kind of Messiah he is. One of the things that we always have to, whenever we read the Gospels, whenever we read about Jesus, keep in the back of your head that the world thinks Jesus, or the world thinks, I shouldn't say the world thinks Jesus, the world thinks the Messiah is going to be a certain kind of Messiah. Going to come in, swinging a sword, league an army, overthrowing the Romans. This is not the kind of Messiah that Jesus is going to be. He's gonna be a different Messiah. He needs the time to show he's gonna be a very different Messiah. If word gets out that he's the Messiah, he doesn't have time to show who he's gonna be. Verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Always note too, Jesus took time to go pray. Took time by himself, took time to recharge. He just spent all that time healing, 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 and then he goes by himself. Again and again and again we see in the scripture. Jesus goes to a high place, Jesus goes to a mountain, Jesus goes by himself, Jesus walks away from the disciples to pray, to recharge, to talk to the Father again and again and again. This is something that we need to do, it's something that we need to be about. We live in a culture, we live in a world, We don't have great examples of taking care of ourselves. We need to be the examples, especially to our children, to our younger generations of what it looks like to actually care for ourselves. Take care of yourself. Take time away. Make sure that you're taking time with God. If you don't care for that relationship, no one else here is going to do it for you. You need to do it. Jesus replied, verse 38, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Verse 40, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Thing to note, that should never have happened. All of the rules, all of the laws say if a person had leprosy, they stay far, far, far away. Okay? Like, so far away. And if they thought somebody was coming near them, they had to cry out in a loud voice. Sometimes they had to wear, like, bells on their clothing to make it known that they were nearby. But they had to cry out, unclean, unclean, unclean. So that it was never possible for somebody to get close enough to them in order for the leprosy to be contracted in some way, shape, or form, okay? And leprosy, a lot of people didn't actually have leprosy. Leprosy was kind of like, in Bible times, leprosy is like a catch-all term. Anything that was a skin disease, that's leprosy, okay? Um, So this should never have happened. This guy's breaking all the rules to get to Jesus. So the fact that he approaches Jesus and gets on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 41 says... Jesus was indignant. That's what it says in my Bible. Your Bible might be different because the various translations of the Bible translate that word differently. Indignant is translated differently. (laughs) Some Bibles translate it as Jesus was angry. Some Bibles translate it as Jesus had compassion. And it's very interesting that it runs that gamut, angry, compassion, indignant. Um, Which is it? I don't know. I can't tell you. That's one of the interesting things about having an ancient text. And so there's a lot of interesting reasons as to why we think it could be, like how we explain any one of those. If you think it's anger, then this is what makes people go, this is part of the cosmic battle against Satan. Jesus is looking at this man who's afflicted as Satan has afflicted him. And so Jesus is angry at the fact that Satan has afflicted him. And so this is part of the battle. If, if you translate it as compassion, then people look at this and go, Jesus has compassion on this man who's been afflicted by a disease, and he's about to enter into that and heal him. Regardless, however you translate this word or however your Bible translates this word, Jesus reaches out his hand, and now it's Jesus who's about to break every rule. And he touches the man. The man says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing. And He touches him and says, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was clean. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Consider again what we saw at the beginning of this first chapter with John the Baptist. When news gets out, about the things that John the Baptist stood for, the world didn't react well to it. Jesus's message is greater. Jesus's power is greater. What Jesus is doing is more. So how is the world going to react to Jesus? Healing and cleansing, forgiving of sins, those are things that happen to the temple. Teaching, casting out demons, Those are the things that happened by priests. And suddenly, the lines of priest, temple, those are being crossed. Those are being blurred. And they're being crossed and blurred by a no-name rabbi from Nazareth, from the region of Galilee, a place where nobody comes from, by a guy that nobody's heard of. It doesn't bode well the more people talk about it. It only shortens the time that Jesus has to do the work he's here to do. And this is why Jesus consistently tells people, don't tell, don't tell, don't tell. That's chapter one. Jesus gets into lots of adventures in chapter one. There's a lot more adventures to come. The more that I read about who Jesus is, the more that I can't help but appreciate who he is. I love Jesus because Jesus first loved me. I love Jesus because of the life that he lived, the way that he ministered, and because of who he ministered to. When I think about watching Indiana Jones and wanting that hat and the whip and the leather jacket, it's not exactly the same with Jesus, right? But when you read the stories about who Jesus is, there are still elements of who Jesus is that I wanna go, how do I do that today? Who is the leper today who isn't allowed to come near folks? Who's the leper today that no one will touch? Boy, that just needs a hug. Who's that person that I could maybe make a difference to by just putting my hand on their shoulder and letting them know that they're loved? That they're loved by Jesus of Nazareth? That there's this incredible book with all these incredible stories and adventures about a rabbi who is intent on loving them so much that he descended from a throne room to a cross to show how much he loved them. That's what it means to put the hat on and the leather jacket on and be like Jesus, is to show that kind of love. And when Jesus says, Shh, don't tell anybody, it's kind of the same way today. It's not about me doing it or you doing it or anybody else. It's not about your name getting out there because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And so we do that quietly. We do it in silence. We don't do it to make ourselves greater. We do it to make the name of Jesus greater. And if we do it that way, and it's not so much that I get to wear the leather jacket, it's that my heart begins to look like Jesus. And at the end of the day, That is what I'm most concerned about. And that is what you should be most concerned about too. Amen? Hi, this is Pastor Nick. Thanks for listening. I hope something that you heard today was very helpful. If you want to connect with us further, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, kanoichurch.org. Sure, I'm glad we're in this together.